Hello, my name is Jacob, and welcome to the 26th episode of the Folk Podcast. Today we have brought on another guest, and today it's still just me and Ian, because we filmed this on the same day that Baker and Shirt both decided that they were doing other things, but you know what? The podcast has got to keep going. So they got to miss out on some pretty cool episodes, and we have another pretty cool episode here. We're talking to Kai, and Kai, just tell us about yourself. Open it up. We'll leave it up to you. Uh, hello, all my relatives, all my relations. Um, my name is Kai. Uh, I've been a pagan for, I want to say, just about all my life. Uh, I was raised in a more spiritual home rather than a religious home. So in a sense, like, I was raised on uh, Native American spirituality, basic Native American spirituality, which I've had to kind of grow and evolve myself. So yeah, I found myself as a Norse pagan when I became an adult. When I was about 19, I was living in basically the woods for a whole year and coming from San Diego, that was a surreal experience. Um, it just, everything felt so much more free. I could breathe finally, you know, I didn't have all that city smog. Um, but of course, I still kept on to my Native American roots, so it wound up me basically walking two paths. Um, and so here I am now living back in San Diego, trying to bring back the traditions of what it means to be a Lakota, uh, which is a tribe in the Great Plains. Um, so right away, um, you know, you said you lived in the woods for a year. Like, to what extent did you say you lived in, you know, did you just live in a house in the woods? Like, did you still have, like, internet, electricity, all that stuff? Or were you, like, living rugged? I slept in a tent for about six months. And then the other six months, uh, about three of those months, I was also in a tent for work. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. I mean, so, like, um, I don't, just like, yeah, just dive a little into that experience. Because, I mean, that's something that, I mean, shoot, I've never done. I mean, especially for that extent of time. I mean, life, I mean, especially like you said, coming from San Diego, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. that's a huge change in lifestyle. Um, well, I had joined what's called the California Conservation Corps uh, right out of high school. And doing that, it's a lot of forestry work. Like me personally, I, uh, I did fire fuel reduction. So I cut down like smaller trees to make sure that if a fire happened, it wouldn't affect bigger trees. Because living in California, we have a and a really bad fire issue during the summers. Um, then I've also built trails. Uh, I built a trail in, um, in Yosemite, like the first one in almost a hundred years. Basically at home, what we called center, uh, it was in a small town called Greenwood, which is nothing but forestry. Um, there were like mountain lions not too far away from where we slept. <laughs> Uh, if you wandered into someone else's property, you were liable to get shot. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's just, I was either in a small community of other, like, young men my age, and, uh, or I was with my crew just kind of working. Either way, I was, like, out in nature. That actually, to me, that sounds amazing, just being out in that kind of that amount of nature for that long and it's it's interesting that you brought up that the conservation corps because there's actually a, a, a member of our community that's going to be doing the same thing um in utah so you're actually yeah he was the first person that i've ever heard talk about that so it's just kind of awesome hearing somebody else having done that experience already um but he's basically yeah, be doing the same thing where he goes out and lives in a tent for 
I think he, his is doing like four to six months of being like out there doing trails primarily. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, and I'm just trying to think like, well, I guess, yeah. Would you, would at that time, were you walking the two different paths between Lakota and, and North Pagan at that point? I think so. Yes. Uh, that's more when I was starting to learn about it. Uh, right before I left, uh, my father gifted me a set of runes. And so that's kind of what sparked my interest. Uh, so I was, I mean, I still have the first book that my dad gave me and it's like abused. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's about to fall apart. So I had to get a new one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, jumping into Norse paganism, I jumped right into rune work, which I didn't realize was kind of a, not a bad idea, but not the greatest starting point until I heard it from you guys. Yeah. So, so coming, like walking like two paths like that, this, this is pretty interesting. Cause I, I mean, we've, I've talked to people that, um, you know, they practice, you know, a combination of say like Norse paganism and Celtic paganism, um, you know, and I've always been fascinated with like the idea of kind of where do you like blending the two together and like um i mean i guess with with native american spirituality i mean it's probably a little bit easier to kind of different uh, differentiate between the two but i mean i'm sure there's definitely similarities in certain practices to a certain degree so like what kind of what kind of things do you do to you know pick out what is coming from where or just like blending the two together or do you kind of keep it you know both paths relatively separate but you walk down both at the same time if that makes sense yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I do try to keep it distinctly different, um, mainly because I see what, like, what's happened with the Christianization of, you know, both uh, peoples. So I try not to disrespect either of the spirits or the gods by making sure I keep it separate, even though, like you said, there's a lot of similarities. Instead of Loki, you have Iktomi, uh, he's a spider trickster spirit. Instead of Thor, you have um, uh, Wakinya, who's the thunder being, or Heoka, depending on how it wants to present itself. Um, and instead of Odin, you have Shkan, which is all the blue stuff you see in the sky. So I was actually just looking it up because I, you know, the things you're saying, I'm like, wait, I've heard all these things before. Um, and the book that I've read that really inspired me on Native American spirituality was Black Elk Speaks. And I'm like, wait a second, I just looked it up and that's actually Lakota. Um, so that that's, that's awesome. I mean, I absolutely, have you read that book? I have not gotten around to reading it too much. I read like a chapter or so, um, but yeah, no, I, I haven't really read very many books because I kind of have that like, fear of uh is it like is it colonized you know like is it is it gonna have like christian interpretations in it so i try to stay away from books even though yes that is a good book to read and that's one i hope to get in the future yeah i i think the thing i really liked about that book is it doesn't shy away from the christianization um you know by because by the end of the book you know i forget the name of the character um oh shoot I, black elk yeah um you know by the end he ends up converting catholicism but he even states he does it because he wants his children to live good lives he doesn't want them to live oppressed and things like that um but you know the entirety of the story is his life and talking about you know how he was one of the last people to have these visions and share these stories and things like that so you know it's a very unique book because i have another one uh, i think 
think it's right here. It's called uh, Conversations of the High Priests of Kusa, which is an Eastern uh, you know, tribe, but it's not a firsthand account. It's actually like a third person story and it's a fiction. And it's like, it's based off of what the Kusa people would actually done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually look at Norse pagans and like, I kind of see where uh, a lot of Native American tribes are going because you guys don't have a whole lot of firsthand accounts or a whole lot of uh, uh, actual knowledge about things like, you, you know what I mean? Um, with the, like just certain things, you don't really necessarily know who's who or what's what or what does certain things within the faith because it's been lost uh, to, you know, time basically. And I look at that and then I also see kind of the same thing happening with Native Americans as well. So um, are you willing uh, to dive a little bit into like your, you know, cause you said you had some basic understanding as a child, as far as like being taught the spirituality of the Lakota. Um, like, can you kind of go over like what that was for you? Like what you were kind of taught? Yeah, so what I was taught is a little different from what I know now. Um, I was taught about, you know, the creator and kind of the two biggest things that I was really taught about is the sacredness of my long hair and a medicine bag. Um, today, we use medicine bags to, uh, to help, you know, like medicine. Uh, you know, you drop a little corn, dried corn kernel in there to, uh, you know, make sure you don't go hungry. You drop a penny in there to make sure you always have money. Um, but back in the day, uh, it used to primarily be used for people who were going through things emotionally. Um, they would have like a little smooth stone in there, which would come from the Tunkashila, which are like the original creator spirits. And then with the long hair for us, we, we believe it's an extension of our soul. So I grew up having long hair, like down my back and being made fun of, you know, being called a girl all the time. But, uh, but I was always taught, you know, like it's sacred. Don't ever cut your hair unless, you know, you have somebody who's important to you who's dead. I've, I've, I've heard that before, actually. I'm, I'm kind of familiar with that. Um, I'm, I'm originally from the, up in Minnesota. So I know there's, there's a few tribes that are up in that area. I can't remember. I think it's primarily this, I think it's the Sioux that are, up in that area if I remember correctly um but yeah I've had I've had quite a few friends that you know I have grown up with more of the Native American spirituality and my mom actually uh dove pretty deep into I don't I'm not sure exactly if it was uh a particular tribe based or if it was just a, a broader range of of understanding or just the, you know the basic concepts of of it but um yeah, I'm pretty familiar with stuff like that. And it's, it's interesting and awesome that some of those traditions kind of stick around because like you were saying, we don't necessarily have, you know, specifically with North pa Norse paganism, like we really don't have a whole lot of anything, you know, that we can really look at as a defined, um, you know, concept or an idea. Whereas I feel like luckily with, I would say, you know, with a good portion of, Native American spirituality, there's still like a, a good amount of people that have stuck to the traditions and kept them alive to an extent. So that way we have something a little bit more solid to go off of, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I try to be that way. Um, I wasn't really raised with 
very many other like Native Americans. It was just my mom basically teaching me what little she knew. So now I'm like absorbing as much as I can so I can pass it down to my kids, you know. Uh, the phrase we would use for that is returning to the blanket. Like I'm trying to make sure that my family relearns those uh, sacred traditions and medicines so that it can live on. Well, and I hear things like returning to the blanket. And of course, you know, my Norse mind goes to the, well, you know, the, uh, you know, the Norns and the weaving of fates. And it seems like, you know, in the research and in my time, you know, with Norse paganism and my interest in, you know, native spirituality, it seems like there's so many things that combine, even like you were talking about with the gods, you know, combining to spirits within, you know, the traditional beliefs. And so it's, it's so fascinating to me. And I think that's been something that's always intrigued me about the relationship between um, native spirituality and, uh, and the traditional Northern spirituality. It's, it's really quite fascinating. Is there any other like things that really relate like or seem to have so much in common between the two? Yeah, um, I would say probably the uh, the shamanism, you know, the, the people who perform like the spiritual practices for the village or the uh, or the tribe, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever uh, word you want to use for it, um, you know, like. Like you guys have said in uh, in one of your past uh, podcasts, the three D's of shamanism, drugs, drums, and dancing. Um, and that's kind of the same kind of thing. We would smoke tobacco out of a peace pipe or other stronger stuff, depending. Um, and, you know, dance and drum. Uh, and I think that uh, that right there is a really big similarity is telling stories of like the tribe or the village or whoever uh, through dancing, you know, displaying like, oh, you know, that guy's wearing a bear skin because of whatever reason. And I see that similarity with, you know, with the Norsemen as well. You know, you guys have Berserks and then we have, I think that's how you pronounce it, the Berserkers. And then you depends have- on how, It depends on how Swedish you are. <laughs> okay. Um, and then you have our uh, skinwalkers there. I kind of view them as similar in a way. Like, well, you know, I think it's, uh, let's, let's talk about Hyperborea. So uh, one of the things I found, you know, you, another book, you know, I highly recommend, which we brought on this channel before is Beyond the North Wind. Um, and one of the things it suggests is the connection between Northern shamanism and uh, traditional Native American shamanism. And the reason that there's so many similarities is that they actually have a common ancestral root in the Hyperborean identity, which is, you know, the theory that there was a, you know, race of humans that lived in the Northern regions around the Arctic Circle, and that they moved from North to South on both sides of the planet that they you know move from north to south on in europe siberia russia and to asia and that they actually did the same thing in north america um and the moment i read that i realized that you know it seems like it, it connects a lot of threads um because you know we have this strange story here in america with or like north america with the the norsemen and the um you know the natives because it's, it's really it, we don't know definitively what happened to the original colony here in vinland you know it seems to be accepted that they were chased out but what if they didn't what if they actually did assimilate back in the, uh, into the culture because it was so similar? Um, you know, it's hard to say for certain, but these are the ideas that I've always danced around in my mind. I have a friend who's Inuit and he would tell me uh, like the best way to describe the original Inuit people is take Native Americans and make them Vikings. <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely think that like what you said, like that theory, 
is very much so possible because we have a story that talks about how um you know at one point all the land used to be together pangea basically and uh something happened and like the the earth shattered but you know everyone was still like we all still came from the same people so like to me that still describes you know the same thing you were just saying maybe one a little more scientific and the other one's just a little more uh mystical and story driven now my my hyperborean brain just like is just like what now what did you just say to me because i mean basically the idea one of the ideas behind hyperborea is that they were a people in the north you know and they were you know there because of the ice and then basically the ice started breaking you know during the ends of one of the last ice ages and what they had as a civilization was destroyed and so like you telling that story i'm hitting here like you know, that was where they all were. That's why there was so much culture. And then they broke up and then uh, uh, my brain, my brain is melting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I honestly, it's amazing looking at a bunch of different cultures because I am by heart an omnitheist. So I believe in all things, or I believe that all paths are true, just not all of them are for me, you know? Um, but looking at that kind of open-minded perspective you look at all these different cultures and belief systems and you see all the similarities and it just you can't help but wonder you know like giants every culture has a story about giants why is that yeah i'm in a i'm in a similar mindset where like, I, yeah i i primarily obviously follow the norse pagan route but i also believe that every religion has you know it has a truth to it. It's just like you said, it's just not necessary for me to practice. Um, and yeah, like, it, like you said, looking at it with that mindset, it, it is interesting and, and just fascinating and exciting looking at all the different similarities between, you know, structures, practices, um, you know, stories, like you said, with the giants, you know, there's giants in every culture um, and, and things like that. And it's just, I mean, you have, say for like example, you have, uh, you know, you have the pyramids in Egypt and then you have pyramids in, you know, in Mexico from like the Mayans and Incans and stuff like that. And they're like, they're, for the most part, they were used for similar, uh, you know, concepts, but they were also built in like very similar ways to a certain degree, as far as like where they were positioned and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like those kind of connections and then think, okay, like where, where's that, like that, that starting point that, you know everything kind of potentially branched off to or like where how did two different cultures from you know on opposite sides of the planet basically do the same thing without any sort of connection so it, yeah it's 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 just fascinating to kind of look at that sort of thing and think okay where was that starting point that they had the similarity and where that branch off is yeah absolutely even uh even down to the way they made paper they made paper in a similar kind of fashion like the papyrus as opposed to i forget what they use here um probably hemp or something like that uh but yeah i don't know it just absolutely blows my mind because when you know during the transatlantic transatlantic slave trade was going uh escaped slaves would come into tribes and then they would look at each other and go who are you you're me kind of thing you know like with the whole drumming and the same like uh sacredness to like women and mothers and how it's related to the earth and you know it's just they they got along so well that they basically just became our extended family 
Well, you know, that's why one of my new favorite terms I've been saying lately is the return to the religions of the earth and bone, because I think that's something that really calls to a lot of, you know, traditional pagan practices. Um, you know, as I've said before, you know, I, I try to have a very wide um, knowledge on, you know, traditional religious practice. Um, so I took a course on um, African uh, spirituality for a while. Um, and I seriously, like you get African spirituality, you know, like get an African shaman, get a, you know, a native shaman and get a Siberian shaman together. And it's like, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them. Like they all practice so similarly. Um, and also, you know, let's say they didn't have any connection to one another. Let's say they don't have any common roots, but then how in the world did they all come to the same conclusions about how the spirit world works and how we connect to it and interact with it. And I, that's the things I really love about it is that yes, you know, maybe there was a common ancestral thread of why they built the pyramid. But, or maybe they came to their own conclusions of why pyramids are special. Absolutely. Um, when I was first starting to get into uh, shamanism and magic and, you know, all, all the fun stuff uh, as a kid, um, my own personal theory was, and I think it still stands, is that even if none of these cultures had anything to do with each other at any point in time, uh, they're all still going to the spirit worlds, you know? They're all still dream walking, shadow walking. They're all still going to different uh, places, but still the same places. You know, they're all still going to the spirit world, for lack of a better word. Um, so they probably communicated with each other there. And that's probably how they came up with the same solutions. Or they just got to the same place doing the same thing. So it's just, well, I mean, that obviously works then, right? I actually, I really like that that theory and that idea of, you know, maybe if in a way it wasn't necessarily like an actual physical, you know, uh, connection or idea back in, you know, at one point where, and it was more of a, you know, individuals meeting each other, like you said, in, you know, like in, in the spirit realm or, you know, whether it was, yeah, dream walking, spirit walking, however you want to name it. But that, that actually, yeah, it makes me kind of start to think like, what if that is a potential thing of how a lot of these uh cultures and and you know ideas are so similar in such different parts of the world but there's always they have those same similarities like I actually that's a really awesome and interesting theory so one of the things um when I built the shamanic spiral um you know which I think we've talked about on the podcast now but essentially it's this commonality we see in shamanic practices the creation of labyrinths mazes and spirals for the practice itself all across the world and so I built one of these things um, out at the last gathering I attended. And one of the questions I posed to everybody was, what do you think it's for? What do you think people actually use these for around the world? Um, and Eric came up that we had interviewed on the podcast. And he was like, after spending some time with it, I think it's a way to communicate people uh, other mazes and other spirals, that it's a representation of the spirit world itself that you know, it's where you can run into other people using them at the same time. And I'm like, so what you're telling me, and this is like an ancient form of a cell phone. <laughs> like, it sounds so basic, but it's kind of true. And then maybe that's where we get these common ideas from is because they have run into each other, you know, throughout the, you know, the world and the spirit world. And maybe they didn't, they couldn't make that connection of saying, well, I ran into someone from Scandinavia. Like they didn't have the language to discuss that, but they still had these shared ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I, you know, I kind of thought the drums were the cell phones. Uh, so I... Um, Those are the ringtones. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, hold up. Got to pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> the ancestors calling. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. You just get whipped away into the atmosphere. <laughs> now I want to make a really crappy, like funny video about like the ancestors calling. It's time to answer. <laughs> and they pick it up. And some like Jumanji stuff starts happening. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the inspiration in the movie. <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I mean, there's just so much stuff that we don't know about the spirit world. And I think it does take having to look at other cultures and, you know, looking at the similarities between them all. Um, but there's also a lot of uh, little differences that makes them distinctly different. Like us Lakota, we don't have an idea of fate. There's people who can see the future, but uh, it's not always right. It's not always correct. Um, but me as like standing between the two, I just see that as like, yeah, well, I mean, when you're writing a movie or a book or whatever, things are going to change, you know? Um, so even with that little difference, I don't see that as much of a difference. I just see that as looking at things in two different ways, you know, like you can look at a square and argue that it's a rectangle. I tell you, Ian, I don't know what it is about today. I just had a, like a complete train of thought just completely vanished. What today is just so weird. I don't know why this keeps on happening, but I was just like, yeah, I got a topic. And then the moment I hit unmute, it's gone. What is happening? Um, oh, well, one question I did want to ask since while well, I try to refigure out what I was going to say. Um, so um, with your, you know, in between these two worlds, what is like your day-to-day -day or, you know, weekly belief? Like, how do you actually structure what you, you practice right now? What is your, what does your spiritual practice look like? My spiritual practice, I would say more so incorporates how I just live day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, I try to be like the best and healthiest person I can, like emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, and mentally. But then also um, I'm currently in the middle of trying to get back into like the sway of things. Because I mean, being in the city is just, it's been totally detrimental to my uh, to my practices, but normally what I would do is I would go out and like uh, watch the stars and pray because we had the belief that they are uh, our ancestors, you know, watching down from us or watching down on us. Um, then and I do that for uh, thirty minutes a night to connect, you know. That way, when I go to sleep, I have a more meaningful dream or meditation experience. Um, then I'll also occasionally make offerings because currently I'm making my own mead. Um, but I don't even drink. It tastes horrible. I've only had one gallon that's actually been good. But, uh, but yeah, uh, right now it's basically just offerings to, to Odin and you know, whatever other gods I feel is appropriate for the time. Um, then also I try to, uh, for the Native American stuff again, I try to sing uh, in the morning. Um, singing is our form of prayer in a way. Um, I forgot how it works basically, but you know, you there's a line that you sing like four times for the sacredness of the number four. Uh, so yeah, just try to sing, pray and meditate. That's awesome. I mean, that's something I've been exploring a lot more lately. Um, and maybe it's, I, I think I blame church for this too, uh, especially, you know, Baptist churches is singing to me did not equate to religion. It seemed always kind of cheesy. It didn't, it wasn't very entertaining and it was usually pretty bad. And so I, I feel like I had this distaste coming out of Christianity for religious singing. And it's just now something, you know, shoot. I mean, I haven't been to a church in 
nearly 10 years and been a pagan for almost five years now. And it's like, it's just now getting to the point where I'm like, no, it seems like singing actually is important to religious practice, um, not just here, but around the world. And so it's something that I want to start incorporating again, but it's just getting past that stigma of what, you know, Protestant religion has done. I mean, shoot, you know, I went to a Catholic church once and I'm like, wow, their singing is actually pretty decent because it has some soul in it at the very least. But this modern Christian Protestant crap is, is crap. <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, guy. Oh, sorry. Uh, I mean, you can if you want. I was just. This is your show right now, not ours. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Um, I mean, for us, for the Lakota, um, there are certain things that you'll hear in a song that are called vocables, which would be like the hey, uh, hey, oh, oh, yeah, you know, those, um, those sounds don't necessarily mean anything, but they're basically filler for like when before we had drums at some point we were still singing and that was our connection to the spirits was you know the song and using our voice to fill in for the doo -doo -doo -doo, you know you know it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that about that part of the songs and and singing because you know i definitely didn't know that because i mean you listen to any form of native american um you know, singing or watch like one of the rituals and stuff like that is a very, you know, big part of a lot of that stuff. And I never even thought of it because now looking, like thinking about it when I've seen, you know, video clips of a, of a ritual like that, where it's, you know, primarily singing. So a lot of them that I look at back at it, there wasn't drums being used in that particular instance. Um, so it's, that's actually really, that's really interesting to, to look at and kind of think about now. Uh, but the, the question I was going to, or is topic I was gonna kind of touch on is I know you were talking about uh, looking up at the stars at night and knowing you know those are the ancestors looking back down on us. I know if I'm not mistaken, I'm mistaken, a lot of uh, Native American spiritual spirituality is you know honoring the ancestors quite a bit. Uh, and I know coming from like a Norse pagan side, that is also a pretty pretty big chunk of what a lot of people do because you know, we wouldn't be here today and know the things that we do know if it wasn't for our ancestors. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, I know you, you, you did touch on it a bit as far as like the differences between the two and blending them, but it, was it, is it a lot easier to kind of, uh, uh, well, I guess you did say you kind of keep it separate, but as far as like, was it easy to, to understand like the ancestral worship part coming looking at it from the Norse pagan side coming from Native American spirituality? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that that's a really big advantage of walking two paths because, you know, like I'll sometimes come to a point where I don't know, like, you know, like ancestor worship, for example. Uh, I didn't really know how to go about it, but as soon as I figured it out on one end, I looked at the other and said, you have to be the same then because, I mean, it's the same idea of honor the ancestors, you know, uh, give offerings if you feel like it, um, ask for wisdom or advice, you know, anything like that. Those are, those are probably some of the biggest similarities between the two is the ancestor worship and honoring. I'm going to come at you guys with another hot, fresh metaphor. I feel like this is uh, my thing on the podcast. So Jurassic Park, right? So, you know, you had the dinosaur DNA, but they were missing strands of it. So they had to fill it with the DNA from, you know, animals that are still alive today. Now, bear with me here. 
that's kind of what I feel like we're having to do with paganism is that we know like, you know, on the North side of things, we know X, Y, B, D, and A, but we don't know the rest of the letters of the alphabet. And so it's like, well, what do we do? Do we six, you know, there's certain parts of, you know, people in heathenry and Ossetru and Norse paganism that think we shouldn't fill in those blanks, that we just have to accept the fact that we only know eight letters of the alphabet, you know, that we don't know the rest of them. But, you know, I feel like what, you know, even if we want to call it neo-paganism or modern paganism movements, what we're trying to do is, you know, look at the connections that we have all around the world, just like we said with the pyramids, just like we said with shamanism. It's like, we may not know the specific practices of Northern shamanism, but we can tell it's pretty damn similar to shamanism that is still practiced elsewhere. So we can fill in those gaps. We can splice together, you know, knowledge from across the world. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things that is happening right now, but there's definitely a stigma around it in some, some groups. And I know in almost every form of paganism, there has been, there is definitely people that don't think that we should do that at all. Uh, absolutely. Um, that's, that's exactly it is filling in those gaps. Um, cause there's, there's things that we are never going to know. And I think we should accept the fact that we're never going to know, but also there's this song I listen to a lot. And in the song, it says, uh, I forgot who, who's by or what the song is called. Um, so I'd have to look that up until later. But in the song, it says, what, what is traditional was once new, was once brand new. And so I think that's the same kind of look we have to take at it now. Like you guys talked about having to, uh, to basically create your own sagas now. And that's kind of the same idea is like we live in a new modern world as much as we would like to connect with the spirits and like to the net, to the land, we're still going to have to, in a way, rely on technology if we want to uh, continue to participate in this new modern culture that humanity has built itself. I mean, shoot, look at the conversation we have right now. I mean, we're in three different locations in three different places in the United States, you know, coming from all three different, you know, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds, really, quite frankly, I mean, shoot, you know, you take, you take one look at me and I'm Scott Irish as hell. And, you know, Ian, I know you're, you know, primarily Norwegian. And then, I mean, you're, you know, Lakota and I guess, you know, Norwegian German, I guess is kind of your German. Background. Yeah. 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 And so like, that's crazy. And it's like, we're perfect representations of the world we live in communicating online, coming from various different backgrounds, trying to figure out what we believe, you know, all three of us have different practices, but you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to return, like I said, to the earth and bone, which is why I really like that. Absolutely. I think this is actually a really good uh, supplication for, you know, um, like we joked about it earlier, like they had some way of communicating with each other spiritually. Um, now we seem to have lost that in humanity as a whole. Nobody really takes uh, sacredness as sacred <laughs> anymore. Um, so now we have to supplement for that now we have to communicate like this i i mean i'm the kind of guy who genuinely believes that dragons soared the skies and like mermaids flip through the oceans at some point whether you know it's um it's what we imagine from like skyrim or whatever or if it's like some weird just kind of overgrown uh description you know like maybe a pterodactyl <laughs> you know oh, dude. Uh, so, uh, do you guys this is a side note do you guys remember that documentary that came out on like discovery channel like 15 years ago that claimed dragon yes. was real and like it yeah. was totally fake but i am still 100 behind that <laughs> absolutely yeah i i mean i don't want to accept the fact that it was fake but <laughs> i just 
I can't I can't get over it now. Like that cemented the idea that dragons were real in my they got, mind they, as a young mermaids child. too when they put out the damn mermaid one too. I was at work like the next day. I'm like, did you see the mermaid thing? Like mermaids <laughs> are real. And then it's like, oh, that was fake. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but it could be. <laughs> I yeah, still believe. It, well, yeah, and it kind of goes back into you know kind of just branching off on that topic it goes back to oh sorry i have a guest on here all of a sudden um it goes back into uh you know th those kind of stories and legends you know are found all over the world just like with giants you know what i mean so like if you look at it you know you have tales of flying you know lizards and all sorts of of various cultures and things like that you have you know sea peoples to a certain degree you know and a lot um so actually, yeah, like you're looking at it from that, that grand spectrum of similarity between practices, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the what spurred my uh, omnitheistic viewpoint on everything is that like, okay, well, everybody's talking about the same thing. Like even in Christianity, you have uh, David and Goliath. And if you want to include the books of Enoch, you have the Nephilim even though that's not officially part of the Bible, but it's widely accepted now at this point, I think, which talk about the Nephilim being giants as well. So like we're even- we're, we're diving down the giant conversation? All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, uh, we as Lakota have a story about a giant who basically eats a man's wife and then the man takes a group of people and long story, long story short, they kill it, and he yanks his wife out of his stomach. So, like, we also have those weird, obscure kind of stories as well about giants and the weird shenanigans that they get up to. Yeah, it's like if you actually put together like a, a universal list of mythologies that all cultures have, giants is like every single one of them. Like I feel like yeah. it's one of the most constant things is that there was at one point a race of people that were bigger than us. I mean, even in the science, if you want to get like real scientific, scientific with us, Neanderthals were bigger than us. You know, they, you know, shoot, that's why they died out supposedly, you know, from what we can tell by science, because they required like 5,000 calories a day to survive and we only require two. So eventually just starved. But like, even by science terms, there was once a point where humanoids and like oh well, you know homo sapiens and neanderthals lived or like it's neanderthals right am i losing my mind yeah my, okay yeah, ne neanderthals yeah, yeah yeah and so like they existed at the same time and actually like you know co-mingled and so it's like it's not a stretch by any means in the mythology spiritual historical or scientific world that there was once a race of humanoids that were bigger than us and um even in the hyperborean thing you know one of the things that brings up is the hyperborean people were bigger that they were, you know, eight, nine feet tall. Um, and there's, again, stories of, you know, in Siberia and Finland of these people that existed that were that big. The Greeks talked about it. The, you know, Siberians talked about it. The natives talked about it. Definitely seems like at one point there was a humanoid race here that was bigger than everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I forget where mountain is, but there's this mountain where it's a lot of like granite rocks. And I don't know if you guys know how heavy or strong granite is. But having to deal with like real like granite out of the earth, it's unnecessarily heavy and unnecessarily strong. But there's this uh, footprint of like a six foot foot, like, you know, like our feet, six foot tall, just like slammed right into a granite wall. And it has like that little mud flip too, you know, when you like step in mud like it just straight up looks like some giant said bonk and like step straight through 
I mean, that's, I don't, my human mind can only tell me so much. Well, I mean, that's why, you know, like I talked about Ian's over here, like what? Looking this shit up right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the things for me living in Kentucky, that's just quite wild. Um, and it's like the unwritten story of Kentucky that no one wants to talk about. But there was a huge amount of giant bodies found in Kentucky, you know, when people started coming here. Um, and even the natives mentioned it, you know, but that, you know, at once lived here, but eventually moved out is that they talked about being their land, that this was actually the land of giants, and they kind of stayed out of it. Um, and like, you know, the things I talked about in my history of giants video is like, explorers found tombs of giant bodies in kentucky and tennessee and it's like why is no one talking about this like we basically have proof that these people existed and no one actually wants to talk about it at least not publicly uh, i was gonna say yeah I, I did go ahead and look it up and i found it and yeah like i know obviously people can't see this on the podcast but you know there it is there's a, a guy that is standing next to it and it is about as tall as this guy it literally looks like a giant spartan kicked a mountain basically that is insane it says here it was found in south africa oh yeah there there you go <laughs> um the the native americans especially along the east and along the uh mississippi river have all sorts of weird stories um the cherokee have what's called the moon-eyed people which i guess are the best description are basically like probably like the falmer from skyrim if you know what I'm talking about, the, the snow elves, but with like really big black eyes. And uh, the they say that the mounds and tombs that like are there in uh, along Tennessee and like other places used to belong to the Moon-Eyed people. That was there before the Cherokee even got there. It's funny you bring that up. So um, I was recently in the mountains with some friends uh, hiking, like we climbed a mountain out in uh, the Smoky Mountains. Um, and one of the guys there has connections to the Cherokee. And he was telling us about that as it started getting dark. And he's like, you guys want to hear about the moon-eyed people? And we're like, what? <laughs> and he's telling us the story. And he's like, oh yeah, they only come out at night. We better get back to the car quick. I'm like, don't do this to us. Don't do this to us. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the uh, Mississippi River version of the, uh, the Wendigo. Well, it's, you know, I tend not to talk about them a lot because I've always been told that, you know, if you talk about skinwalkers is when they show up. But like, there's a huge like werewolf skinwalker legend in Kentucky as well. Literally, there's a county here called Wolf County, and it's called Wolf County because of the werewolf problems that they have supposedly. And that's another thing that there's this this like universal story of people transforming into wolves and things like that all across the world. Um, you know, in particular, the Native Americans and the Norse seem to have a you know a very concentrated idea mm -hmm. of what these people were. I mean, shoot, like uh, you know, I have Eagle Saga up here, which just talks about people that were shapeshifters, like just casually. It's like, oh yeah, that guy can shapeshift into a bear. Like, oh, we're just going to casually drop that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just, there's, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff, you know, looking at those traditions and stories where you see enough people talking about it, where you really just sit there and think like, was it actually real? Like, is that not just a metaphor? Because I mean, yeah, same thing we have here with uh, skinwalkers, um, which are primarily like a Navajo tribe kind of story um but they're they did the same thing to an extent they shape-shifted into coyotes or whatever other animals they felt like shape-shifting into for whatever job they were doing um so like at what point do we look at that kind of stuff and start to contemplate what whether or not it truly happened 
Ian, you got any more direct questions? Um, we're getting close. I think we're at past the 45 minute mark here. So probably one no, more question. No, it's just kind of, I was just thinking, you know, kind of like the, the werewolf skinwalker thing. There's uh, actually up in Minnesota near where I'm from, um, there's similar stories well of, of uh, you know, a similar issue basically where there's, you know, shapeshifters, skinwalkers, however you want to call it, you know, that are werewolves, et cetera, that are a thing. It's actually a book, uh, a fantasy novel written based off of those local legends and things like that. But yeah, like like we were saying, you know, it's, it's interesting to take those, all these different connections and kind of look at it be like, okay, there's enough information from various cultures from across the world. And it's just like, all right, there's gotta be some sort of, of truth behind this because you, you know, like we said, there's, um, you know, so many different similar or so many similarities between so many cultures just dotted across the planet. And it's just like, okay, either everybody was doing the same thing or there was one person that was just like traveling around the entire planet that we have yet to discover it was doing something, you know, and telling these crazy stories and stuff like that. Odin. Yeah, I was about to say thanks, Odin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If only we knew a wanderer that seemed to travel around the world telling stories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, that's, that's... Well, we we okay. call that wanderer Tate. <laughs> he's uh, he's like a wind spirit. He's basically man's best friend kind of thing, aside from dogs. Fun fact that one of the theories possessed, uh, presented by the Hyperborean thing is that Odin himself is the North Wind. Spooky. That whole book is spooky, let me tell you. Um, so uh, the last question I had for you that I wrote down is just wondering what's next for you. What's you know what are you working now? You know currently with your spiritual practice. I know you said you wanted you're living in San Diego, so I'm assuming one of those goals is probably to get out of the city uh, and try to get back into nature. But uh, anything in your own personal practice, or you know anything you're researching or trying to find out more about on either side of the path? Um, so yeah, I am actively trying to teach about the traditional way about like more so native american stuff because i see kind of what's going on going on with other natives and i don't see that many people who are properly traditional and i mean i don't want to rag on anyone or like down talk anybody but like i see it and it's a little sad honestly because to me that just means that the boarding schools and colonization worked, you know, that like people my age and generation are kind of forgetting that kind of stuff. So I, I actively teach about it. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing with my path currently, um, you know, just teaching everything I know. That's awesome. I mean, that's one of the things that I've been talking about recently, um, you know, not not too publicly yet. But one of the, my criticisms of modern Osetru, at least North American Osetru, is that it let itself become too filtered by Christian dogma. Because essentially, if you look up what it takes to be a re officially recognized religion in the eyes of the United States government, it's being Christian. I mean, almost every regulation they have is, you know, making it more and more like what Protestant Christianity has become. And so these, you know, Osetru organizations here have let themselves become so filtered and watered down with the dogma of another religion that it hasn't, actually hasn't remained true. I mean, no offense to anyone that follows Osetru in America, but at the same time, it seems like it is a far step and a far cry away from what traditionally the ancestors would have done and what we should actually be moving forward to. Absolutely. Um, I... I have a very, uh, well, my fiance is Christian. I'm going to point that out first. Uh, 
that way nobody takes anything that I'm about to say wrong. Um, so obviously I have nothing against Christians or Christianity or any other religion, but I absolutely, I don't want to say hate. I very much so dislike seeing uh, people who try and like do like traditional stuff of any faith and see like any little hint of Christianization. Because again, in my mind, that means that all the past horrors that happened to, you know, those particular cultures worked, you know? So I try my best to find uh, different things and kind of unroot the Christianity. Like a lot of modern Lakota people would just call um, Tunkashila or Wakantanka God. When that's not at all like it, like Wakantanka is a group of things. So it's not, it's impossible for it to just be like one singular deity. And then Tunkashila is the same kind of thing. It's a group of other things. So it can't possibly one single deity either. Man, you know, it's funny. It's like, um, cause I started my religious past, so to speak with Buddhism um, and researching into Buddhism. Um, and we you see this here in Buddhism as well. Like even when I followed, um, you know, actually practiced uh, meditation, you know, very strictly as far as like the Buddha past is I was a Theravada Buddhist. You know, I was following the, the traditional path that was laid out by Buddha himself, but you know, it wasn't long before Mahayana came along and basically turned it a little bit more into a polytheistic worshiping the individual beings that are the Buddhas that will help you. It's very Catholic in a way. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, and it actually you know, it was mixed with Hindu as well. Um, and then you have the, honestly, to me, the most atrocious thing that happened to Buddhism was Amitaism, which essentially they just created this Buddha named Amita. And what would happen is, is once you died, you went to Amita and Amita would teach you how to reach an enlightenment in the afterlife. And so, and all you had to do in life, like the only thing Amitaism has, you have to do is say, oh, I dedicate my life to Amita. And so when I die, I go to Amita. And then that's it. It's like basically the Jesus Buddha. And I'm like, why, why have you done this? Like, you know, so this happens to every religion in the world is that, I mean, quite frankly, they see the popularity of Christianity. It's hard to deny Christianity became quite popular and people started losing members. And so they started taking the aspects of Christianity to try to keep members and try to attract people. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of a sad thing in my eyes because, you know, again, relating to Native Americans and looking at the boarding schools and all the stuff that happened there and then the constant changing of reservations until they're basically on small patches of dirt. And then even then how they continue to treat Native Americans on those reservations is atrocious. So, I mean, that's a whole, uh, that's more of a political thing. So I don't want to get into that too much, but it's at any time I see like, oh yeah, thank Wakantanka is like, what? Thank who? Like which individual, you know? Because every time I hear that, I think, oh, he's been Christianized, which means that what happened to his ancestors worked, you know? And it's just, it's kind of a sad thought really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard subject because the truth of the matter is the war on traditional, you know, I, I say pagan religions just because it's, you know, broad, but traditional spirituality is that the war is never ended. It just changed. It's not, you know, you know, you aren't converted by the, you know, the point of a gun anymore for the most part, but you are, you know, we still, you know, the traditional beliefs are being infected by dogmatic ideas that don't actually exist in that belief system. Um, and it's something we'll be fighting for a very long time, but I mean, it's, you know, at the same time, it's, 
it's a worthy fight. And we just can't forget that the war has never ended on that kind of stuff. Bringing up another song, I think, I think it's White Lies. Um, but it basically starts off saying the war, like the, the war has never ended, whether you're being killed by the bullets of the seventh cavalry, or if you're, uh, forced into induced poverty to have to mine for uranium or oil on the reservation and you're dying from sickness from that, that it's like, it's still the same war. It's still the same idea of, okay, well, we're going to treat you guys like dirt until you either convert or give us what we want. That's awesome. But uh, all right, cool. I think we, we've uh, actually uh, reached the cap on the podcast. We're about to cross over an hour mark, but uh, truly Kai, it's been a pleasure having you on here. Um, it's been a great conversation. I'm glad we've been able to have it um, to close out. Is there anywhere people can find you to continue this conversation or learn more about um, what you're trying to do for the uh, Lakota spirituality and your journey into Norse paganism as well? Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have TikTok. <laughs> That's where I'm starting because it's easier to get like a big following there than anywhere else. Um, so I am eventually going to move over to other things, but you can find me at President Thunder Eagle or, uh, or just Kai Camargo on TikTok. Either of those are work. I, I wanted to point out that um, the word Minnesota actually derives from a, uh, a Teton word, which is the language that the Lakota, Nakota, Dakota speak, which is what you would call the Sioux. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the word Mini Shota, Mini means water. Yeah, means water, and shota means smoke or smoky. So you once lived on smoky water. Interesting. I mean, it makes sense though, because Minnesota is also known as you know the, the state of ten thousand lakes, and it's definitely way more than ten thousand. But that's just you know recognized. So that's that's yeah. actually really cool. I didn't know that, and I you know I grew up in that that area. So that's actually really cool to learn about. Yeah, there's. I forget the actual. Yeah, there. Oh, good. I was just going to say, I forget the actual, because I took an entire class on history of Kentucky. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, like uh, Kentuck, which was, it was originally meant, I, I believe was translated or told to the explorers as dark and bloodied ground. So like, it's like not a great name to have. <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, you can have this land. It's called Kentuck. It's dark and bloody ground. And they're like, all right. <laughs> as long as it'll grow corn, right? <laughs> ah, extra nutrients for the corn I hear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just uh, once again, let's go ahead and close this out. But Kai, it has been a true pleasure to have you on here. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, and everyone, if you'd like to be on the folk podcast, um, just like Kai has, he just sent us an email and now he was on the show. So you can do that too. Just email. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be on the show, just email us at the folk podcast at gmail.com. Share a little bit of your story. Um, we try to schedule everything about a month in advance at this point. So, you know, it might take us some time to get back with you. Um, but we do try to read every email or if there's a topic you would like to discuss, please email us at the folk podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support the work uh, I do and uh, what we all do with the wisdom of vote, please think about donate to patreon which is the wisdom of odin on patreon we would appreciate it there's great rewards um and you can uh, help can ensure that this keeps going so thank you all very much for listening thank you so much for your support in whatever way you give it and folk until the hall skull skull, skull. skull.